Good morning. Looking for Jesus? Looking for Jesus? Question mark, exclamation point, ampersand. Bonnie, Carrie, thank you for that. That's uh, artistically just what I was looking for, yeah. Um, we are. That's my premise this morning, the premise that, of this sermon, looking for Jesus. I think we are all looking for Jesus, believers, unbelievers alike. We're scurrying around. We're, we're trying to, to host the best party. We're looking for the right gift. We're trying to avoid traffic jams at the mall. We're, we're doing all this because we have this desire to receive or to give some special, meaningful, deep, uh, deeply important gift either to somebody else or to receive that gift. And that all stems from, I think, this uh, truth that God gave us, whether we know it or not, the greatest gift of all, his son. Um, and so in the midst of all this hype and excitement, I'm grateful that our church in Advent, at least, this is my quote, pulls uh, hard on the spiritual reins of our heart in a different direction. I, I, like maybe many of you, I couldn't wait to put up the manger scene in my house, and I've been lamenting for three weeks at St. Timothy's, when are we going to get to the story about Jesus and the manger and the animals and the wise? I just, I don't know, I just romantically or, or nostalgically, I can't wait to see the manger, but that's not what happens in Advent. We're, we're kind of pulled in a different direction. We're, we're told to wait, to wait, to wait. And so we heard about Jesus' second coming, and we kind of had that repeated to us for two weeks in Advent, that yes, his birth is important, and yes, we should celebrate, but we can't forget brothers and sisters, that he's coming again. So we hear that. Um, this week, we're left again with John the Baptist. We heard him last week in the Gospel of Mark, and we get John the Baptist again. Now, one of my favorite, one of my favorite guys in the Bible, one of my favorite people in the Bible, but uh, I'm wondering, okay, couldn't we have just taken one John the Baptist and maybe started with the manger this week? But no, we're still with John the Baptist. And the way we get to John the Baptist this week is in the prologue of the Gospel of John. And the prologue of the Gospel of John is one of the most unique 26 verses in all of Scripture. It is a beautiful poem, a beautiful, beautiful poem. It goes 26 verses, and four verses after four verses after four verses, uh, the writer takes this uh, idea and weaves it in and out, it close and wide and close and wide in this chiasmic uh, form that culminates at the end with the, with the person and the light of Jesus. Its point the prologue's point is the same point as last week's gospel message. And this is what I want you to hear. This is the second most important thing I want you to hear. Actually, it's the most important, but it plays with my point. What the prologue wants you to know and what last week's gospel wants you to know and what John the Baptist wants you to know and what I want you to hear this morning is that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus has come to save, to rescue, and to be with us. So if John the Baptist were standing here this morning, he might put it this way. Know God, in other words, want to know God? You got to know Jesus. You got to know Jesus. Um, like I said about last week's gospel, there was a line in there where John the Baptist is quoted, and this I'll read it to you. John says last week, I baptize with water, but the one who comes after me baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John says, the one who comes after me baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Well, I said at St. Timothy's last week, that would have caused the crowd to gasp. I mean, you would have heard a collective gasp in the crowd when somebody said, the one who comes after me baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Because the crowd would have known the only person who can baptize with the Holy Spirit is God. And so the crowd would have been standing there saying, are you telling me that God is here? Is that what you're saying, John the Baptist? God is here? 
It's, it's the same point we get this morning in this gospel reading. Jesus is God. And to prove it, the prologue, which we didn't read the entirety of it, takes us back before creation. A couple of the other gospels take us to the birth of Jesus and move us forward in his life. But John, the, the gospeler here, the evangelist, wants to go back before time because he wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this person who's coming to earth, who's going to step foot and, and send a shockwave like a nuclear blast, just is God. And so he takes us back outside of time and space. I can't even imagine what that's like. I don't, I can't, I mean, it's 931. It was, it was 11 a.m., my mother tells me, when I was born. I mean, I'm, I, I'm stuck in time. But the gospel here this morning wants us to know that there was something before time. And that something existed, and it was Jesus, and it was his Father, and it was the Holy Spirit. They, they were all together before time and space. One of my favorite uh, professors in seminary put it this way, the logos, or the word, because that's what you hear over and over in the prologue this morning. The word was God, the word was with God, the word, the word, the word, Mary Glace said in Staff meeting, I just love it that we get to hear Jesus, the Word. So the Word, the Logos, my professor said, who is Jesus, stands before the cosmos. So you get two really good Greek words there, Logos, cosmos. So before everything, there was Jesus. And that's what the prologue wants us to know. So today, this morning, I really want to shake us up. I'm trying my hardest not to talk too fast. I know that's one of my problems. And I, but I really, want to, I really want to offer something this morning that hopefully shakes us up a little bit. And it seems like, you'll, you'll feel like at the end I'm kind of ending on a sad note, but there's good news, and I'll try to emphasize the good news when I close. Because, anyway, I won't, I won't give you the because. I will tell you this. You'll, you'll hear the because. Here, here, here goes the risky part of this. I'm going to take another uh, small-minded theological step that most of my brothers and sisters in seminary, and probably Tyler, is going to give me a hard time about. It may even appear on the Facebook blogs this week. But to make my point this morning about what John the Baptist is saying, I'm going to use a funny, a funny story. And Carrie, if you'll, or a funny book, and if you'll put it up, it's the uh, Where's Waldo. Okay. So I'm going to use Where's Waldo to make a point. If you don't remember anything this morning, remember Jesus is God, and Gary talked about Where's Waldo. Uh, and the reason I want to put that up there is because in verses 26 and 27, I'm going to read them to you while you guys look at that. In verses 26 and 27, and Carrie, you can put them up after I'm done, but leave that up there, please. This is what John the Baptist said this morning. Listen to this. John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Did you hear that? But among you, Jesus is standing right there in the crowd, but among you stands one you do not know. Jesus was standing right there. He was somewhere in that crowd, and they don't recognize him. It's amazing. Um, also, John, at this point, doesn't call him out and say, there he is, there's Jesus, and it just reminded me of this Where's Waldo comic. I mean, I've read or looked at these books with my kids a million times, and you spend half hours searching for Waldo, and he's the one in the red cap and the glasses. I can't find him up there this morning either. But what happens is once you see Waldo, once you find him in the book, if you're over the age of uh, eight, then pretty soon every time you flip to that page again, your eyes almost instinctively go to Waldo. I mean, you've got this big crowd of people, everybody's the same color, but uh, Waldo can be hidden and then seen all at the same time. So maybe the crowd was huge that morning, maybe everybody was dressed the same. I, I don't know why 
Jesus isn't revealed at that moment. But there is one thing to remember about Jesus' revelation. According to the Gospel of Matthew, we learn that during his baptism, during the moment that he was baptized, his father is the one who declares who he is. His father, in a voice from heaven, says, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Matthew 3, 17. So the father reveals the son. The son spends his whole life glorifying and pointing to the father and then leaves the Holy Spirit with us to do the same today. One last note before, you can take Waldo down now. One last note before I get to my point. Sin in the Old Testament, sin in the Old Testament was defined as a failure to obey Yahweh or a failure to obey the law. That was sin. Sin in the New Testament, and according to John's gospel, is a failure to recognize, to know, and to believe in Jesus. Sin is a failure to recognize, to know, and to believe in Jesus. So the part of the prologue that we didn't hear this morning, we would have heard things about a great light, and that light is the true light, and that light is Christ, and the world's darkness won't overcome it. And here's my favorite part. He's the light that illuminates the truth about the other light, such that when the light of Christ returns, we won't need the sun or the moon anymore. What is that? I, I don't even, I can't, it's like that outside of time and space. When the light of Christ comes a second time, this light that we see now, this light that's shining in the sun, we won't need that because the light of Christ will illuminate everything. That's the light that John the Baptist is talking about. That's, that's Jesus Christ, who is God. The light was rejected by some, the gospel tells us, but, but not quenched. The light didn't go out. So people hear the gospel all the time and choose to receive it or not. And here's the, one, here's the point. In verse 12, which we didn't read, the gospeler says, he gave those who received the light, the people that chose to believe, he gave them the power, the power to become children of God and to share in that divine life. So it's not only that we can find Jesus in the crowd or see Jesus in the crowd or notice Jesus at work in others, it is that we accept this life, this power into our own hearts and we begin to share in this new life. So here's the deeper point where my Where's Waldo analogy comes up short, among others. I'm sure Tyler will show me several places where my Where's Waldo analogy comes up short. So here it is. Jesus came not only to be seen and recognized, he didn't come just so we'd find him in the crowd, but he came to dwell in our hearts. So the Jesus story is not a story about the past that we dust off once a year and bring out, and it's not only the longing for the future, but it's this sense that we are here now with Jesus. He's here in this room. He's seated next to us. He's in our hearts. He's in the hearts of our children. He was here before we got here. He'll be here after we leave. My wife and I were talking this week, uh, and it seems apparent to me that in my circle of friends and my family and my Christian bubble, I love that word, well, I'm in a Christian bubble, um, there seems to be a, a more, more, there seems to be a greater interest in um, the opening of the Earth Fair here in Somerville. You know, the Earth Fair's coming. Does everybody know that? We're getting an Earth Fair. Uh, but anyway, there seems to be more interest in my family about the opening of the Earth Fair than Jesus' return. I mean, I, I'll confess that. Uh, we know where the Earth Fair is going to be. We know how much parking is going to be there. We know you can drive from the Home Depot and get to the Earth Fair and vice versa. We're very excited about the Earth Fair. Uh, we can't tell you that much about Jesus' second coming. And I don't know why. I mean, I, I don't know why we don't dwell more uh, on that. Maybe it's because 2,000 years have passed and he hasn't come. Or maybe um, we don't read our Bibles enough or we don't talk about it enough. But um, 
I think that's the, that's the point of the message this morning that I want to make, is that we have Jesus here now, and for whatever reason, I'm convicted that uh, many of us, myself included at times, either don't recognize him or worse of all, don't care. Worse of all, don't care. Or I bet there's some sitting here this morning who think, well, that's just too simple. It's not that we don't think about it. It's not that we don't care. There's several people who are probably blocked with the idea that, what do you mean? I just have to simply say, agree to, assent to the fact that Jesus is here, and that's all that, yes, yes, you, you, Jesus, his presence will lead you to repentance. He will forgive you, and you'll become one of the bearers of light. It's that simple. It's that simple. Well, the tragedy is, and this is the, kind of the downer before I get to the close, I seem to want to believe that the way most of us get in touch with Jesus in our lives is through tragedy. If my last week was any indication, uh, I met with people, I talked with people on the phone and in person, I visited people, and in one way or another, they were all facing tragedies. And you can put names on it like divorce or death or whatever, but um, it was tragedy. And these, these were people who were very interested in talking about Jesus and where is he and, and what is he doing and why won't he help me and when will he help me. And if I could talk to people long enough, if they'd listen to me ramble on or if, I, if they'd let me sit there long enough, I, I would try to make the point that Jesus does definitely come to us in our suffering. It's usually the place most of us find him. Um, he doesn't always take our suffering away. He will one day. We know that in Revelation 21. It says that one day there will be no more tears, there will be no more crying, no more death. But today, at times, he doesn't always take it away. He leaves us there to suffer, but he comes alongside of us to suffer with us. So I want you to think about times in your life this morning where you may have been extra close to Jesus in your suffering. Because that's the sense that I want you to have going out of here in joy. That he, yes, he's there with us in our suffering, but he's also there with us in our joy. It just seems like we connect easier with our suffering. So let me clean this up and close. Um, first of all, I don't want to get into a protracted debate afterwards with people about, what do you mean? Does God give us suffering? To, I, he may, he may not. Um, there, there is no doubt, I think, that all of us could, could agree that suffering does occur. Uh, we live in this broken world, and sometimes our skewed view of life uh, brings tragedy our way. But I want to make the point that suffering is a common experience of this life. And I want to really make the point that God is with us, God is with us in our, excuse me, in our suffering. Um, secondly, I want you to be reminded that when Jesus came and when Jesus comes again, um, he's not going to come like an angry parent driving a SUV to Disney World with a carload of kids. He doesn't look in his rearview mirror and shout like my dad used to, don't make me pull this car over. <laughs> or he's not standing at the bottom of the stairs when the kids are in the playroom one night when things have gotten out of hand yelling through the door, don't make me come up there. That's not the sense in which he came, and that's not the sense or the uh, way that he will come again. He comes as part of his ongoing plan to rescue and redeem. Part of his ongoing plan to rescue and redeem, done in love, John's gospel tells us later, John 3.16. Not out of anger. So, Jesus calls John a little later in the gospel a lamp. And Jesus says, I am the light. John is the lamp, I am the light. John recognizes who he is in the gospel. We heard it over and over again. He denies being the Messiah. He denies being a prophet. He simply says, I'm a person called to witness to the light. And that's what we are, brothers and sisters. We are people called to witness to the light, not be the light. He gives us his light. He gives the power to those that would believe. We, that light is inside of us. We are lamps. 
We are lamps. So most importantly for today, I want us as we move out from here to uh, consider ourselves lamps and to remember that Jesus has come, and we're going to celebrate that in just two weeks, and that he will come again. Very important. We long for the day like the earth fair opening when Jesus will come. We, we, we long for that day, and we should talk about it more. But for the point this morning is that we know that he is here now because that's great news. That's great news to a world that's stuck in traffic jams. That's great news to people facing divorce, death, and tragedy. Jesus is here right now. He has come, he will come, but he is here now. So here's my challenge. When we pass the peace, this was actually a challenge that was given to me several weeks ago. When we pass the peace in a few minutes, what we're actually doing is extending the power, the light inside of us to other people in the room. And Jesus has given us permission to share that. And we do it in a real constructive and demonstrative way. In just a second, we'll pass the peace to one another. But think about what you're doing maybe for the first time. It, it took me getting shaken up a little bit to realize what was going on. We're actually saying, I'm taking this light that is inside of me, this power that's been given to me as a child of God, and I'm passing some of that to you so that his peace that passes all understanding will abide in your hearts. That's what we do when we pass the peace. So Jesus has come. We're going to celebrate that in a couple weeks. Jesus will come again. And uh, Jesus is here now. Jesus is here now. Amen.